we're starting we're starting a new Chumash, Chumash Shemais. I've always thought of Chumash Shemais as the woman's Chumash. Um, first of all, the, it's, the, it's the story of the gestation and the birthing of, um, of us, of Am Yisrael as a nation. Uh, second, it's populated by uh, a whole cast of strong women. Uh, you have the notables, of course. You have Miriam and Yechevet, the Mialdes. You have, of course, Bitya or Batya. You have um, Yisra's daughter, who marries Moshe. Uh, but perhaps most importantly, you have the rank and file Jewish women who were in Mitzrayim, who were the Nashim Zitkaniyes, the Beschusam, in their schus. Nigalu Avasenu Mitzrayim, our our forebearers were redeemed from Mitzrayim. So um, there's there's a very special energy I find in in in, in this chumash, um, especially vis-a-vis uh, -vis us ladies. Um, this morning share is is we're learning today Leiloi Nishmas, uh, the mother of one of our um, regulars. Uh, Figa Rachel Gollum, who uh, joins us from the United Kingdom. And today it, um, is 11 months from the passing of her mother, Rivka Bas Yaakov Shmuel Halevi. And we're learning the Ilu Nishmasa. And after the Sicha, uh, Figa Rachel will, will say a few words about her mother. We are also learning uh, to affect to Aschus, a Rafur Shalema. For Harav Yosef Yitzchak Ben Simachasya, the Ebrusher should give him a refuah shalema lemaila mikol hamishur ba'ifenisi a miraculous refuah. Um, with your permission, I'd like to just go over the um, the psukim that surround um, this morning's sicha. So, if you have handy chumash uh, um, we're going to begin with uh, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Tezvav, 1.15. And uh, we'll read this Pesukim quickly in the English. Um, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, Lamialdes. The name of one of them was Shifra, the name of the other was Pua. Rashi explains that Shifra is Yochebed, Pua is Miriam. And he said, when you deliver Hebrew women, you must look at the birth stool. If it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared Hashem and did not do as the Egyptian king had told them. They kept the infant boys alive. Uh, the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why did you do this? Why did you let the infant's boys live? So the midwives said to Paroi, you know, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians. They know how to deliver. Even before a midwife gets to them, they have already given birth. Okay, so Pari can't really contest that. That's what the midwives are reporting about the clinical uh, birthing prowess of, of, of the Jewish women. Um, and the Torah tells us that Hashem was good to the midwives and the people increased and were very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, and interestingly, uh, the other Sicha, Sicha Aleph, that, that the project is doing, 
this week actually ends with Ira from the Rebbe that everybody in Klal Yisrael has to be like those Miyaldes, that Yaru Esha'elikim. They stood steadfast before the great Pharaoh of that time because they feared Hashem. And so Hashem uh, rewarded them by Yaslahem Batim. He gave them houses. Rashi explains that these are Batei Kahuna, the Levia, Umalchus. Um, and but uh, <laughs> that's all good and fine, but Paris still had a problem on his hand, and that is the proliferation of the Jewish people. So Vayitzav Paralechal Amos, Parah commanded all his people, saying, he kind of uh, decided he's going to have to go out of network and circumvent uh, the agency of the midwife. And he says, look, everybody has to be drafted in this project. Every boy who is born must be thrown into the river and every girl shall be allowed to live. Um, in the face of this, we know that um, a lot of, of the Jewish people were disheartened. And um, most notably, Rashi tells us on the next Pasuk where it says that a man of the house of Levi went and married the daughter of Levi. And Rashi tells us that this was no, no less than Amram who had divorced from his wife in the face of this devastating news saying, what is the point of us being married and trying to bring children into a world of such great misery? And we know uh, famously that Miriam reversed that and they remarried. And this is the birth of Maisha in the next Pasuk. The woman conceived and bore a son and she saw that he was exceptionally good and she kept him hidden for three months in order to circumvent the gazera of a little boy being thrown into the river. But when she could no longer hide him, um, so these are words that we're gonna be looking at, she took a papyrus box and she coated with clay and tar. She placed the child in it and she placed it in the reeds near the bank of the river. And as we know, um, Miriam stood, herself, uh, stood at a distance to see what would happen. And in the next passage, we learn that Pari's daughter, Bitya or Batya, went down to bathe by the river. Uh, while her maids walked along the river's edge. And that was when she saw the papyrus box. She saw the teba goime among the reeds and she fetched it. And that was when she saw that it was uh, a Hebrew boy. And this was uh, no one else but Moshe, who she named after the fact that she took him out of the water. Okay, so that's uh, kind of the story. And um, now we're going to go into the Sikha. Aleph, ala kasov, batasem basuf al svas hayor. On the words, she placed him into the reeds on the shore of the river. Isa batargum, targum explains, al chif nahara, on the shore of the riverbank. Umuchach mizeh. And so this kind of proves and this tells us that Yechebet placed the papyrus box in which Moshe was ensconced She did not place him into the river itself, but rather on the dry bank on the edge of the river. 
And uh, in the footnote, Rebbe explains that this that this uh, that these words answer a simple exp- uh, a simple question that is asked by the Barbanel and others, which is how does a mother uh, put a child or throw a child into an actual river? That's that's dangerous. That's that's impossibly dangerous. But no, he was placed on the side of the river. Ulam, however, But when you look at uh, the psukim that follow in this story, you find that the box which held Moshe was in fact placed amongst the reeds, the reeds that were growing out of the river, not on the side of the river, like it says further on in the story, Batya called his name Moshe, because she drew him out of the water. So was he on the bank of the river or was he in the water? The Ragat Shavar explained the Ma'acha Shahim Hayu Evdim Lenilos Hayu Asur Liochebet Lahatilas Maishali de Hanochas Ateva Ptai Hayar. That because the Nile River, the Nilos, was a deity of the Egyptians, it was therefore forbidden for Yochebet to save Maisha through the agency of the river. Why? Kiadin Hu because it is a clear din, the Rebbe brings down the, um, the sources, that one is prohibited from using the agency of a Vodizara even to save oneself. And therefore, and therefore she placed him among the reeds on the side of the river, on the shore. It was only when Baspare Bitya went to wash in the river, that the Mephorshim tell us that actually the Gemara tells us, and the Rebbe also brings down a number of places in the Medrash, that she went down to actually bathe in the Nile, using the Nile as a mikvah in order to wash away the effect of her having been involved in Avodah of her father when she converted to Judaism. Now, of course, we're not going into the whole idea that, uh, you know, before Matan there wasn't actually Am Yisrael, and uh, what does it mean that she became Jewish, and what does it mean that she converted? It's not like when we talk about conversion today, um, but it's definitely the fact that she washed herself of her fathers of Edezara, that she took on a way of life that was to serve Hashem. And he named and by her so doing, Bitla Avaidazarazu, she nullified the Avaidazara of the Nile. This is a, this is an extremely um, interesting and, and, and strong affirmation of the power of one single person, in this case Batya. And afterwards, the teva was able to go into the yar, into the river, because um, Batya had effectively neutralized uh, uh, the, the ill and, and, and the impure effects of, of the Nile by using it as a mikvah for herself. Beis. The Medrash teaches 
Why, in fact, did Yecheved have this idea to put Maisha into the yar, into the river? Because there was some kind of system by which uh, the Egyptians were tracking the birth of Jewish boys and um, collecting them to, to, to kill them. And um, apparently, uh, Yochebed uh, got wind of the fact that they were doing this because the Egyptian astrologers had uh, told Pare that the redeemer of the Jewish people was going to be stricken by water. Um, and we understand this um, as having been the, you know, the, the incident with Moshe hitting the rock and therefore not being able to go into Eretz Yisrael. But they interpreted it as that he's going to die in water. And so they were prophylactically trying to uh, get rid of this Moshiach and Shal Yisrael, the savior of the Jewish people. And so by putting Moshe into the Ya'ar, this would signal to the astrologers, they would get the signal that they don't have to look for the Moshiach and Shal Yisrael. They no longer have to worry about a redeemer of the Jewish people. He's already been taken care of. He's in a river. Kaloimar. Hagzeira kala ben hayilat hayyarit hashlichuhu. The whole gezerah, it seems, according to this, of throwing the Jewish uh, boys into the river was a result of the fact that the astrologers had seen, like I said earlier, that the uh, Redeemer of Israel would be stricken or judged through water. So Yechebet put Moshe into the river uh, so that they would get the signal that they don't have to worry about this anymore. So as soon as Moshe would be cast into the water, they would say, they would see, they would perceive um, through their astrological um, their powers that the Redeemer of Israel has already been thrown into the water of the Loi Chapsu Achrav, they will not, they will no longer put effort into finding him. And Miyad, in fact, Batlu Hagazera. And, and this edict uh, was nullified as soon as they got the signal, which was the Gezerah's call Haben that every boy amongst the Jews that is born should be thrown into the river. Now, in the next paragraph, the Rebbe cites a, um, a, a axiom that he has taught in his Torah throughout. We, we as a group have, have, have seen this rule a number of times, that that everything having to do with Torah is, um, is exact. It's, it's, it's exact to the nth degree. We'll move on. And so it's understood. And so the Rebbe has always opined that there has to be a connection between the different things that either it's different opinions that Armafarshim give us about a certain incident or different aspects surrounding this incident, that they're not simply disparate. And it just happens to be that they're connected to this, but that's the only thing that links them. But the Rebbe has over and over asserted that they have to be connected. So in this case, 
there has to be a connection to the two things that were obviated or nullified when Moshe was put into the river. Aleph, bitul havoidezara shel hanilos. So um, this is not something that happened through the agency of Moshe being thrown into the Nile, but it's connected to the story that the, um, the Nile as an avodah was nullified. And the second is bitul hagzera kol haben. And the second is the nullification of the edict in Egypt that every Jewish boy must be thrown into the river. There is a connection to both of these incidents to Moshe, specifically as he is the Moshean Shal Yisrael, the savior of the Jewish people. Gimel. The Yuvan, and we will understand this, we can gain insight into this, we can understand this through looking at the essential and an inner or deeper understanding of this edict of throwing the boys into the river. And here, the Rebbe tells us something interesting. Because the Torah tells us not only of Pare's edict that if it is a son, if it is a boy, kill him, but also later tells us how this edict will be executed, which is that the boy should be thrown into the river, the Nile River. Move on, it is understood. So when the Torah gives us its details, we understand that it's not just a detail. Like, okay, why not throw in another detail? It makes the narrative more colorful. It makes it easier to imagine, etc., etc. So Rebbe says, no. When the Torah puts a detail in, in, it's understood that it's not just a detail. Oh, yes, Prata Or you might even say that this detail is to explain the reason. That after they saw, the astrologers saw that the Savior, the Redeemer of Israel, is going to be uh, judged or come to an end through water. Therefore, the Gezerah was, throw the boys into the water. No. Rebbe says no. Rebbe says that that circular reasoning, that in this case, it doesn't explain why the Torah gives us the detail that they should be killed in exactly this way and not in some other way. It's only after Pare says that they should be thrown into the river and the terror records this, that then the Mepharshim find the parallel between this and what the astrologer said. But that's not why Pare did it. But rather, the terror is telling us that throwing them into the river is not just a detail, but a Indian Ikri Begolus Mitzrayim. It's an essential aspect of the Golos Mitzrayim. Not only that, but it is through this so-called detail that 
the essential energy or vibe um, of what Golis Mitzrayim was all about comes to full expression. In other words, the Rebbe is saying, even if the astrologers would not have seen this and they would not have advised Parai that the Mashiach Shal Yisrael, the Redeemer of the Jewish people, is going to be smitten through the agency of water, Parai would have still done this because this is not tangential, it's not peripheral, it's not a mere detail, it is essential to understanding what was going on in Mitzrayim, what it was that Pari wanted to do. Vabir was that the explanation is Hataklis Bahamakhuvan Shal Gazeris Pyroid Hayu Hayatashlihuhu. That you can see the, the goal of Pari in all of the Gazeras in the words Hayatashlihuhu throw them into the river, submerge them into the Nile, Elamilus, because this was the deity of Mitzrayim. This is to say, the will of Para was, that the Jews should be thrown in and sunken and mired into the Avedizara of Mitzrayim. And just uh, by the way, Rabbi has other sikhs who explains this in, in much more detail because, um, you know, when Pari starts to say, oh my goodness, the Jews are proliferating, like, we never, we never were an actual threat in terms of how numerous we were. Even with the fact that Rashi says, you know, based on the metrics that, that the Jewish women had, you know, six children at one time, and all this, we still, I know, you know, as a people, we've never been more than, or we've been less than what they say is a decimal on the Chinese census. Like, what are we, less than 2% of, of the world's population? We were never more than this at any given time. And yet we've always presented a threat to those who see who we really are, which is the spiritual energy that we bring. And this is really what Pari was so um, exercised about. And this is why it was so important for us to be thrown and sunk into the Avedis what is the reason that the Egyptians were so smitten with the Nile River? Simply speaking, because simply speaking, this was really the key to their economy. As is known, doesn't rain on a regular basis in Egypt. And so the growth of their crop depended on the Nilos rising and overflowing, and in that way, um, watering and irrigating their fields. And therefore, And so, when you live this way, when you see a river as the source of your economy and your sustenance, it's easy for this to lead to the mistaken assumption that that is your source and not anything transcendent and not a Kaddish Baruch Hu, God forbid. 
Because where you have a situation where people need rain. So we're told in the Gemara Yashalmi and Midrashim that in that kind of situation, in that kind of cultural milieu, all people have their eyes on heaven because it's so clear to them that there is this transcendent source that's beyond their ability to control and they need it. Because they feel viscerally that it depends on God and God alone. But when you have a situation that the Nile River is rising and overflowing and irrigating your crops, it, it, the, the link to God is much more tenuous. And so they came to the conclusion, that their entire economy and therefore their entire lives is really dependent on nature, on the Nile. And so the Nile becomes the of Mitzrayim. And so now we can understand the Gezerah of Pari. Throw the Jews into the Nile. Enmesh them in our deity, in our Avodah What Pari wanted is that the Jews should also put themselves under the ownership, as it were. They should become subjects of nature. They should conform to the parameters of nature. Um, which, you know, is a recurring theme in history. I, you know, I'm, I'm always arrested by, by the idea of the, the Syrian Greeks, you know, the, the warriors, the awesomely strong warriors standing there and, and tampering with the seal of the Kain Gadol in, 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 in the base of Middash that they're destroying. It's like amazing, <laughs> you know, but they're doing it because they want to disconnect the Jews from they want to disconnect the Jews from the transcendent. You want to light a menorah, light a menorah. You want to light 18 menorahs, you want to light 1,800 menorahs, light them, but not with this particular oil that has to be prepared in a particular way that is sealed by the Kayan Gadol that talks of purity. Purity is a, is a transcendent idea. And we see that this has its antecedents in what Pari was trying to do in Egypt. Yeholdo shel hagzera in hey in sif hey shmeis beis in tezayin in volume tezayin of bukotes yachas the possibility for this gezera hayeretash lechuhu that the little boy should be thrown into the Nile lishleit al bnei yisrael for this to have any sway over bnei yisrael he al yedeze sheira lahem tchila hayerida lemitzrayim. This was precipitated by the fact that they went down to Mitzrayim, not just physically, obviously. Because because for the duration of the time that they were in Eretz Canaan and Eretz Yisrael, which the Torah tells us that even before the Golos, 
and even before it become Eretz Yisrael, it was Eretz Asher Eini Hashem El Kechava. The eyes of Hashem are always on Eretz Yisrael. There is a particular sanctity um, of that place. Hainu Sheba Nires Begolui Hashkachasay Shel Kadosh Baruch Hu Al Kol Prat Prat. This was a situation in which it was clear and obvious, was revealed that Hashem orchestrates every detail of our lives. And uh, this is also expressed physically. In other words, this spiritual um, phenomenon is, is paralleled and is expressed in the physical nature of this land that it would always be, as the Torah tells us, that this land would drink from the from from the rain of Shammai. And the Gemara in Taina says that Hashem waters Eretz Yisrael by himself. Like imagine you're standing there in your garden and you're watering your rose bush. So therefore, in that kind of situation, So when you're living in that kind of spiritual milieu, there's no place for you to lurch into that mistaken mindset that it is my strength, it is my uh, prowess uh, that created this chayil, this strength, this greatness, whether it's crops or anything else, hainu. That when you're in when you, when you're in that mindset where it's obvious and plain to you that Hashem orchestrates everything, you can't get into this place where you're thinking that the way you sowed and the way you are taking care of your crops, that's what did it. Why? Because when you live in a situation where you see that Hashem is taking care of everything, then you see easily that it's only Hashem that gives you strength to accomplish whatever it is that you're accomplishing, in whatever area of your life. And even more so. And this uh, harkens back to the same, uh, an idea similar that we did in last week's Parsha about Ephraim and Nasha that for the duration of time that Yaakov and his sons were alive, so even while they were in Mitzrayim, they were not vulnerable to the edicts of Pare. They, they simply had a firewall that protected them from that kind of thing spiritually. Because for the duration of the time that they were in Eretz Yisrael, they saw in very revealed fashion that effulence comes from God, that everything comes from God. And so this protected them even when they were in Mitzrayim. So even after they came to a place where the only thing that was seen or showcased was nature, so it, 
It wasn't able to affect them. It wasn't able to make them forget. It wasn't able to shroud and obfuscate the godliness that they actually saw prior to this experience. So the fact that when they were in Eretz Yisrael, they saw this so clearly, and therefore it affected them to the extent that even when they were in Mitzrayim, this knowledge, even if they weren't seeing Hashem, so notice there are two levels, actually seeing Hashem's every overture, and Yidiya, understanding this cognitively through Havana Vahasaga, through your understanding and through your intellectual grasp, that Teva, that nature, is orchestrated by God. That mother nature is really Father God. And the Rebbe says in the brackets, Alderach Inyan Hanes. And this is, in, is like when we talk about a nace, a miracle. Now, the word nace is used in the Torah also for, to, to refer to a flag, because nace is Lashon Harama, because nace is about elevating. What does a nace do? Shahanes Miraimim is Hayadia Oidos Hateva that a miracle elevates your understanding of nature. It forces you to realize that nature too is uh, conducted through the agency of Hashem. So when doctors um, look at a situation and they say, we really can't explain this, but so-and-so is the case, they are forced to understand that while there is nature and while there is precedence and there is science and science, you know, hypothesizes based on results that return in the same way again and again and again, and all this is true, but then there are going to be anomalies. And um, when you recognize that as the force that actually propels everything that's happening in the world, then you understand that nature too is part of that transcendent force. And sometimes there's going to be something that overturns or transcends nature. It was only after Yosef and his brothers and that entire generation passed so when there no longer existed amongst B'nai Yisrael, people who had lived in Eretz Yisrael, who had seen God, and who took down with them the cognitive certainty of God's um, orchestration of every single day, day every single detail. And therefore, at this point began the actual Yerida, the descent into Mitzrayim. So it became the possibility to think that you're actually under the machinations of the laws of nature. 
Only then was it possible for there to be this gezera spiritually that the little Jewish boy should be thrown into the river. Above, the Rebbe begins to explain how Moshe acts as the antidote to this gezera of Hayaret Hashlichuhu. Joni's asking, this is the exact opposite of what happened last week. Maybe I'm not understanding your question. Um, so you could unmute yourself and explain. But last week, the Rebbe made reference to the fact that, that those that saw Yaakov, in other words, those that had that energy, they were still living in a certain place. Whereas the children of Yosef, who didn't see Yaakov, but were still acting upon that energy, Lihain, they're very special to me. So it's, it's, I think, exactly the same idea that there is a protective um, layer around the Jews for the time where the energy of Yaakov and his sons are still strongly felt in this world. But when they pass, that's when Pare is able to to um, move into high gear and attack the vulnerability of the Jews, the spiritual vulnerability of the Jews, which gives rise to the possibility for the physical edict. Feel free it's, to unmute yourself. It's, it's too long to go into now. It kind of doesn't make sense, but I'm going to wait until the stuff is finished. Okay. Just, you know, I mean, there are, there are the Jews that held on to their language and their, and their clothing and their names, and that's basically what, what held them. And I guess that was because of Yaakov. Yes, that's all true, but that's not that same level, that same potency of the, of the generation that saw, but if in Re'ia, they saw God. So it's true that, uh, that Yaakov's effect and his children, the Shvatim's effect didn't just dissipate completely into the ether, which is why we were able to leave Mitzrayim. Um, but there's no question that there was a spiritually debilitating effect, um, so much so that four-fifths of, of B'nai Yisrael did not leave Mitzrayim. So enmeshed were they in the Egyptian culture, sadly. Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll talk more offline. Vav. In But wait one second. Actually, so he said he Paro threw the babies into the yard, but that wasn't the whole entire time. It stopped. It was just for a short period of time. That's correct. But this is emblematic of what Paro wanted to do. Yeah, but I'm saying, he, going back to what Joni was saying of last week, so for that time period, and then we maybe we got back to ourselves. Maybe then we, we stopped and we, you know, he wasn't able to do it anymore. I, I, I think from the fact that such a small, uh, you know, a small portion of, of B'nai Yisrael actually left Mitzrayim, but that, that basically tells you what happened to us. I mean, and Rashi tells you why there had to be, or at least one of the reasons why there was Makas Cheshach, because Hashem did not want the Egyptians to see how many Jews were being, uh, were, you know, were, were, were being killed during that time due to, 
due to things that they did and so on and so forth. So on the one, it's true, we have a binary. We have the Jews who held on at all costs, no matter what, mostly the Jewish women who never lost focus and encouraged their husbands. Uh, but then we have, uh, sadly, a very great majority that, uh, that became very vulnerable. Uh, so let's begin again. In Yanesh HaMeshahu, the, the Indian of Meshah, the, the energy, uh, the, the idea of Meshah, Meshion Shal Yisrael, the Redeemer, the Savior of Israel, Vizayis Liyaisai Raya Mehemna. The main nikuda, the, the, the main aspect of Moshe being the redeemer is that he was the shepherd of their faith. Hamam Sheikh is ha'emuna Israel. His strength wasn't in his physical prowess. He wasn't a particularly effective orator, as we know. His strength was in that he was the shepherd of their faith. That he had to affect them in a very practical, literal way. That even as they were in a situation where they were unable to see Hashem, and they were likewise not able to cognitively, intellectually understand godliness. Moshe affected that emuna and God should be able to illuminate or should illuminate B'nai Yisrael. And it was only through this that Moshe seeded their strength through the faith that he caused to be illuminated in their lives, that they were able to withstand the edict of Pari. You might say, what? Moshe is the one that had to introduce Emunah to B'nai Yisrael? We, we have a famous, famous assertion in the Gemara that all Jews are believers, the children are believers. Still in all, emuna stam makif. Emuna that is makif, that is kind of superimposed upon a person. It, it surrounds you. Ein badai aborza. It's not enough for this kind of situation to withstand this kind of pressure that was brought to bear by Pari. In order for faith to actually be able to impact and um, influence your day-to-day life, there has to be this idea of having a shepherd of faith. Faith has to be brought from a more transcendent, external, theoretical, abstruse level to panimi. It has to saturate you internally. 
And this was affected by Misha, who is known as the shepherd of faith. And when we understand this, we could understand an interesting specificity in the in the Torah's pasuk, uh, you could see that the three words that seem to be extraneous are highlighted. The Torah tells us that Moshe was a shepherd of sheep for Yisrael, who was his father-in-law, who was a um, a uh, priest of worship in Midian. Dilach era, it would seem. It's one thing we understand that the, that the Torah tells us that he was a shepherd. Because as is well known, the Midrashim the, 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 the bring this down. His being a shepherd was a preparation and even a test of how effective and how worthy he is of being a shepherd for B'nai Yisrael. We have the very, very, um, you know, the, the detailed uh, medrash about how Hashem saw that Moshe ran after a very small and weak uh, sheep and how he uh, was attentive to the different needs of the different types of sheep, the older ones, the younger ones, and so on and so forth. Okay, so we understand why we have to learn that Moshe was a shepherd. Why is it important for us to know that he was a shepherd for his father-in-law, Yisrael, who was Koyahim Midian, was a ranking uh, chief in, in, in the worship of, of the Midianites. Elaha inin apnimi bekachu. The Rebbe says that the innermost idea here, of Chasidus, Bitzayin Yisrael, hayutmunim chela dekdusha. That within the... Um, the flock of Yisrael was lodged or hidden the seeds of strength, the forces of strength of holiness. And Moshe, being their shepherd, was for the purpose of bringing close these forces to holiness. The, and that is why the Torah takes pains to give us these what seem to be extra details. So even the sparks of holiness that were found in the domain of a priest from Israel, we're told about Yisrael, Rashi brings down that Yisrael did not leave one of a Dezara untried. In other words, he was a seeker. He was a seeker of truth. And in his journey, he tried every single of a Dezara. And 
And still in all, Moshe was able to extricate these sparks that were lodged, it would seem, in, in a spiritual place so far from holiness, he was able to bring them close to holiness. And so being the shepherd of Yisrael's flock was actually a preparation for Moshe Benu being the shepherd of Bnei Yisrael in Mitzrayim, in a place so saturated with everything that's antithetical to godliness and to holiness. So even as the Jews are in a situation where they certainly cannot see, perceive, apprehend God, and they can't even understand it cognitively, and the only thing they could see in revealed fashion is the way in which this world is run by the laws of nature, he was their shepherd of faith. He was actually able to draw down, to arouse and to draw into them in a very internal way, faith in Hashem. Ches. Can I ask a question? I'm sorry? Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, do you know what this actually means? What does it mean? What does it actually mean that he was able to bring out from that sign of Yisrael? And at this time, Yisrael was already a believer. So why did you have the Avedazara element when he had already turned around. I, I, I'm just wondering, it's, I, I don't know if it's even, it was no. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, and, and I'm not gonna pretend that I have any definitive answer, but I think Esther, that it can mean that even after Yisrael you know, came um, and he came to Matantaira and, and et cetera, et cetera, but there are still mired in, amongst his possessions in his flock, these nitzaitzes of, there are always nitzaitzes of Kedusha in every aspect, Elamai. Sometimes we can access them, which is when something is mutar, and something, sometimes we can't access them. And that's why it's called Asur, it's incarcerated, it's, 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 it's tied up, it's not accessible to us, right? So, but Moshe was able to access the Nitzitzis Kedusha that were found even in the sign of Yisrael. So even as you point out that he's already well on his journey towards adherence to, to the Abishra, and therefore it's ready to the side of Kedusha, but it seems that Moshe had to still transform his flock. In other words, that still had not been transformed. Those Nitzitzis Kedusha still had to be accessed and only Moshe was able to do this. And doing this, this exercise was actually preparatory for Moshe's difficult exercise of what he had to do in Mitzrayim. It's kind of sobering, actually, what the Rebbe is telling us here, that, 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 that seeding the faith of the Jews in Mitzrayim <laughs> was kind of like trying to extricate the, the, the Nitzitzis Kedusha that were so deeply mired in, in, in the flock of Israel. That, that tells us what a, 
uh, low place, you know, we had sunk in, in Mitzrayim. I mean, we know that, right? We're, we're told that we had sunk to the Memtes Shari Tuma, that, uh, you know, if we would have sunk any lower, we would not have been able to leave, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, thank you. So this is the connection, the Rebbe says, between the two inyanim above. Bitol ha'vaydezor shel ha'nilus, u'bitol ha'gzera kalaben ha'yilon ha'yiritashlichu kind of nullifying or neutralizing the Nilus as Avodazara and the nullification of Pare's edict to kill the Jewish boys or to, by throwing them into the to this very river. Because essentially, uh, like if you look at it on the on the essential level, on the deepest level, it's one and the same. Because as the Rebbe said earlier, what Pari wanted to do more than anything else is throw the Jews into Avedazara. But it was through the appearance of Maisha, just his very birth. But because even at birth, he already is the Raya Mehemna, he already holds the energy of the shepherd of faith. And he would go down and he would draw down this faith into B'nai Yisrael as they are mired in this deep and dark Golos of Mitzrayim. And the Nile embodies the essential aspect of the Golos and the servitude. And through this, through his very birth, through his very birth came the strength to do battle with Avaidazar of the Nilos and eventually to, to get rid of the Gezerah. And now the Rebbe makes this um, practical metaphorically in our everyday life. The truth of the matter is that every single day, we have, and we have to be leaving Mitzrayim. And so it's understood that the three general levels that we spoke of earlier, the level where you can actually see godliness, which was the level of Yaakov and his sons before they came down to Mitzrayim. Then you have Bez, you have the second level of Golos Mitzrayim, where while Yaakov and his sons are alive, there is still cognitive understanding of that Hashem is uh, the solo boss. And Gimel, Ugu'ulat Mitzrayim Shalachareha, and the the, the geula that comes afterwards. We too uh, traverse, we, we too go through these three um, levels, as it were. First, the seder, the, 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 the order of a Jew's um, life, day, is first of all, Beis HaKnesses to Davin, and then Beis HaKnesses to Beis HaMedrash, and then the, the Mishnah says, and we go from the 
house of, of prayer, to the house of study. And then we go on our way to whatever it is we have to do. In the words of the, the Gemara and the Mishnah, conduct yourself in accordance with the ways of the world. Then you go to do whatever you have to do. First, there has to be tefillah. Then there has to be study of Torah. And only afterwards do you get busy with whatever it is you have to do for Parnasa. What happens through the spiritual service of Tefillah? A Jew draws down a revelation of godliness in his soul. Until you could say that this is a level of seeing After the proper preparations are made before you dive in, and the contemplation and the meditation that takes place during Pesuke de Zimra. And then the Jew who Balde Kriyashma comes to Kriyashma. And Shema is Rashi Tevis And the word Shema is an acrostic for lift up your eyes towards heaven, Uru'u, and see. Again, this idea of Gilu Elokus Befchinas Ri'iyah. This is the level of <clears throat> Hashem being revealed where you can see Hashem. Bidugmas Eretz Yisrael. So this is the level of Eretz Yisrael, as we said earlier. And then you come to saying Shemun Esri. And what are we told about Shemun Esri? The Gemara says, It's like a servant standing before his master. Bitul Gomor. We have to be in a state of total nullification. We are in such a state of bitul that right before we start Shemesri, we say, Hashem, open my mouth. I can't open my mouth as myself. And only then will I be able to say, to, to talk, to, to pull on your praise. And after this you have to leave this place from this exalted level of actually being able to see Hashem as it were and being in a state of total and absolute self-negation. And so here, there are two levels of descent. The first level of descent is going from the shul to the house of study, as it were, because when you learn, we're only able to reach a level that we can reach, that we can grasp. We can only do as much as is humanly possible, which means by definition, a very limited amount of Hashem's knowledge can be grasped by us. It's, it's in conformity with our capabilities. So it's circumscribed. 
אבל אף על פי שדאגרס הבנה בסוגה היא הרידה לגבי הגילוי שבראי הבלוקוס פאביטל הגומר בשעת התפילה, but even though we can all agree that this is a descent compared to what came prior, which is actually seeing, perceiving הלוקוס and the um, concomitant self-negation that this that this causes even though it is a great descent but still in all the effects of the of, of the davening are still recognized it's still recognizable so what this Jew experienced during tefillah informs and affects his learning. And it's, so it's still recognizable, this higher level of seeing Elokos during tefillah. And this, the Rebbe says, is like the effect of Yaakov, Uvan of Yaakov and, and, and the, and the Shvatim, that they had an effect that calls man for the duration of the time that they were in Mitzrayim, the Yerida, the descent, wasn't real. There was this protective bubble. There was this protective firewall base. So that was the first Yerida. And then, then after the Jew studies, now he must turn to his business. And at this time, so because of the way that the world, that nature, that Teva shrouds and clouds our ability to see God, it's possible, in fact, to forget about Elokos. And in such a situation, in order for a Jew to remember the words from Parshas Ekev constantly, that it's only Hashem who gives us a strength to accomplish, and so that his business should be um, conducted only in accordance with Shulchan Aruch, in accordance with the will of Hashem, so the, the, mag, the magic wand, the, the magic bullet, as it were, the magic sauce, is in this situation, when you're enmeshed in the everyday and you're, you're surrounded by an environment where it's pointing to, you know, us, we, nature, that's, that's really the force the only way to combat this is to use the strength of our emuna in Hashem. And this is the emuna that the Raya Mehemna, that Meshur Abenu, places in our souls. And so here is the lesson that we must learn. Aleph. First of all, we have to be cognizant of the fact that leaving that space of tefillah, which is a space of seeing Hashem and being in a state of utter bitl and nullification to Hashem, is already a yurida. 
We have to be cognizant of that. So the first thing, you know, you know, it's kind of like the Stockholm syndrome, where where after a while, the you know, the people begin looking at their hostages, their their, their hostage takers, their as you know, their their redeemers, as it were, you know, as, as the good people, right? So first of all, we have to realize that there is a Yerida, that we are going into Golos, that we're stepping into a lower place once we finished Fila. That in itself is a necessary step that we sometimes gloss over, just being cognizant of the fact that we're not where we should be. It's true that this is done in conformity with Shulchan Aruch. As we can see from the words of the Shulchan Aruch that says, that you need to, you know, you need to do what you need to do in this world. I'm still in all. One should only get involved with this as, as the Chazal told us about the coming down of the Jews to Mitzrayim, they were forced because this was what Hashem said would happen. The Rebbe says, these are the words we say in the Haggadah. That, I'm sorry, I think it's a suck of, that our business, um, our involvement in business should be only because this is what Hashem wants us to do, but not because that's where our passion lies. We have to realize this is a descent. On the other hand, on the other hand, don't be anxious about this descent. On the one hand, be cognizant that this is a descent. On the other hand, don't let it scare you. Because even though it's a tremendous descent, because even though while you're doing business, not only can you not see Hashem, but you also can cognitively really be in a place where you could say you understand. Because when you're when you're doing business, that's where your head is. <laughs> that's where your head is. So you're not at that time meditating or postulating or ruminating on Hashem. But through arousing the aspect of Moshe that is found in each person's soul, as explained in the Tanya at the beginning of Parak Membez, then each person's faith in Hashem will become revealed in that same way that it says about Moshe, that he was the shepherd of our faith. Very, very strong and important words. That accessing this, this Moshe that is found in each one of us and arousing that will allow us to leave our personal gullus. Until 
until we will be able to apprehend, we'll be able to perceive that Hashem is with us. These are the words from the Torah about Eretz Yisrael, that Tamed in Hashem, Hashem's our eyes are constantly from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. Hashgacha protis binyane asakov. Then we'll be able to see the Hashgacha protis in, in, in all the details of our business dealings and, and overtures and, and you know, involvements. And from one geula to another, from personal geula to the more general geula, which will happen through the agency of our righteous Mashiach, that will lead us to our holy land very, very soon. Um, I'm looking. Uh, Mrs. Rutsky had a comment. Is it still a question or uh, you want to unmute yourself and... Um... It's just a comment comparing the... It, it, it's almost a rhetorical question. The, in the generation of when Yaakov was still alive and even after that, when there was still a memory of Yaakov, no, no, when Yaakov was alive, there was a memory of life outside of Mitzrayim. So I'm comparing that to our generation where we still have a memory of the Rebbe being around in a, in a body. And so I'm saying that uh, almost to the next generation, and I guess as a result, we obviously need Mashiach so much, but it, I, I'm paralleling the two. I see, but let's not forget what we learned last week about Ephraim and Menashe, Lee Hain, that ultimately it's through the agency of those who did not see um, that, 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 the, that the true strength of Yaakov emerges. And so it's not Achimve, I have, I have great faith in the next generation. They, they are gonna be the leaders. They're gonna lead us out in Mitzvah Shem and, and inspire us to do what we have to do so we can be led out very soon in Mitzvah Shem. Amen. Amen. I, I want to ask Mrs. Gollum to unmute herself and um, say a few words about her mother, Aleha Shalom. Thank you, Rifki. My name is Fager Ochel Gollum. I live on Schlichus in Sheffield in the UK. Rifki kindly dedicated today's fascinating Sicha, the Ilanishmas Mamada, Rifka Vasyakashmo Halevi. It's been 11 months since her passing, and my brother's finished saying Kaddish for her this afternoon. And it's an Indian to have a Lachaim for Neshama at this time. My mother left Austria in 1939 as a six-week-old baby on the last train before the borders closed and miraculously entered the UK without a passport, which is a miracle, a story in itself. Like Rufka Imenu, my mother was the epitome of chesed and a very humble person. She was a caterer and a yeshiva cook and spent her life giving to others. She was much loved by everyone who knew her. And if everyone can do an extra chesed today for Hanashama and say Lachaim for Rifka Basyakashmo Halevi. Thank you very much. Lachaim. Amen. Lachaim for Aliyah for her Neshama. And thank you for sharing those moving words about her. And I also want us to ask together for Fuashlema, for Harak Yesef, Yitzhak Ben, Sima Chasya. 
We're wishing everybody a wonderful week, wonderful day, and kultuv, and uh, easy access to the Bechina of Moshe Rabbeinu in our Shama. Amen. Mashiach now. Amen. Yeah, is there a question? No, it's Toby. I'm just saying hi and bye. Hey, hi. Hi, Tobes. I don't remember learning the Sikha with you. Yes, we did. We learned it my senior year. Really? This one? I, I promise you, because I remember the takeaway. Wow. Okay, interesting. I, I don't remember ever learning the Sikha. So, okay. Very, really? Yeah. That was my identical.